Second Kings chapter number six this morning. Second Kings chapter number six. And, uh, man, what a blessing to get to be here. I'm thankful I can be in the house of God. Second Kings chapter number six. I'd like to read the first seven verses, then share with you a few thoughts the Lord laid on my heart. Second Kings chapter six, verse number one. The Bible says, and the sons of the prophets said unto Elisha, behold now, the place where we dwell with thee is too straight for us. Let us go, we pray thee, unto Jordan, and take thence every man a beam, and let us make a place there where we may dwell. And he answered, Go ye. And one said, Be content, I pray thee, and go with thy servants. And he answered, I will go. So he went with them, and when he, they came to Jordan, they cut down wood. But as one was felling a beam, the axe head fell into the water. And he cried and said, Alas, master, for it was borrowed. The man of God said, Where fell it? And he showed him the place, and he cut down a stick and cast it in thither, and the iron did swim. Therefore said he, Take it up to thee. And he put out his hand and took it. Let's stop there and pray. Father, I love you this morning. Thank you for the house of God. Thank you for the sweet Holy Ghost, Lord, that has ministered to my heart already this morning. Lord, you've already made your presence known in this place. And Lord, not because of the testimonies. The testimonies are because of that. Lord, not because of the good singing. The good singing is because of that, Lord. And everything that we have of value, Lord, we owe it to you. You've done a great thing already this morning. But Lord, we just, we're not satisfied yet. We want to hear from you. God, we want you to do a work in us. We want you to be glorified through our response to your word. And I pray that the Holy Spirit of God would take your word and, Lord, would wield it as his sword, Lord, that he would use it as his instrument to deal with the hearts of those that are here today. Lord, help us to be obedient. Help us to be humble. Help us to be submissive as we seek for your will to be done in us. Lord, we love you. We thank you for all those that are here today, Lord. But most of all, we thank you for Jesus Christ. We ask it in his precious name. Amen. You know, this is a very familiar passage of Scripture. You no doubt have read this multiple times, many times, and uh, I myself have preached on it several times throughout the years. And I was talking to my wife about it the other day. God had laid this passage on my heart, and it's interesting. I've heard I've heard this passage preached probably a dozen different ways. And uh, you know, I remember my pastor growing up. He used to say this. He used to say, "I never heard a message on this." And we used to always think to ourselves, "Well, that's because you're always the one preaching." Amen. And if you ain't preached it then you ain't heard it. Amen? And so it may be a product of that. You might sit there and kind of chuckle at your preacher this morning and think, well, I've heard a hundred messages like that. But I do have to say that I've never preached from this perspective on this passage. And I, I find it interesting because I believe actually in substance this is the very application of the passage before us. Now you say, well, preacher, what is that application? Well, I'm struck in verse number 5 by what this man says whenever he loses this axe head. The Bible says, as one was felling a beam, the axe head fell into the water. And he cried and said, Alas, Master, for it was borrowed. In other words, he says, I have lost this that has been entrusted to my care. It was my responsibility to see to its quality and to see that its state and to use it effectively. But I have lapsed in my commitment. And sadly, that which had been entrusted to me has now been lost. Begin to think about your life and my life. And I want you to think with me for a moment, before we even get into the preaching about the loaning 
of the borrowed tool. I want to preach on this thought this morning. It was borrowed. I don't know about you. I don't like to borrow things from people. My theory is always if I buy it and break it, at least I've owned it for a little while. But if I borrow it from you and break it, I'll have to buy you another one and I'll have never owned one. Somebody say amen to that. I'm not a fan of borrowing things from other people. I don't mind to lend them when I'm able and when it is wise to do so. But I'm, I'm not a big fan of borrowing stuff. But can I tell you this? When we look at our life and what the Lord's done in our life, we're going to have to get comfortable with at least being a borrower from the Lord. Because the reality is there's not a single one of us that will ever pay off the debt that He paid for us There's not a single one of us that will ever earn the blessings that God has given us. But in fact, all of us are borrowers from the Lord. When I think about this tool and the loaning of it, there's two things that I note that sort of frame this for the preaching. Number one, I would say this. At its very core, this axe was a resource. This man had a task that he needed to accomplish. But he didn't have what it took to accomplish that task. And so some kind soul that had looked at him that had not and said, I will lend to you that which is beyond your reach. I don't know about you, man, but it makes me think about the state that God found me in. For I certainly had a need that I could not meet. I certainly had a debt that I could not pay. There was certainly a task that I could not perform. It was not within me to pay for my sins, to secure pardon for myself, to make myself right with God, to give me joy, to give me peace, to give me contentment. But then him that had came along to him that had not, looked at me and in my poverty, in my bankruptcy, in my bereftness, he looked at me and said, though you cannot do this for you, I can do it for you. Though you don't have what it takes, I've got what it takes. Though you cannot get the job done, I can get the job done. Here's what he did. He stood in my stead on Calvary's hill, died in my place, and he took my death so that he might give me his life. Ever since that day, friend, every resource I've had in life has been given from him. It's always interesting how territorial we get over things, especially as Christians. So why is that, preacher? Because ain't nothing you got or I got that don't belong to God first. Are you listening now? The church belongs to God. The pastor belongs to God. The people belong to God. Your wallet belongs to God. Your house belongs to God. Your car belongs to God. Your kids belong to God. There ain't a single one of us that is not a steward of what God's given us. Bible says this in Romans chapter number 14, Paul making application of this truth in the life of the believers. He said, he that regardeth the day regardeth it unto the Lord. And he's talking about holy days. And he that regardeth not the day to the Lord, he says, he doth not regard it. He that eateth, eateth to the Lord. And he's talking about following dietary restrictions for he giveth God thanks. And uh, you notice he that eateth giveth God thanks. Somebody say amen to that. But then it says, he that eateth not to the Lord, he eateth not and giveth God thanks. And then he says this, for none of us liveth to himself and no man dieth to himself. For whether we live, we live unto the Lord. Whether we die, we die unto the Lord. Whether we live, therefore, or die, we are the Lord's. Paul says this about the things we have in our life in 1 Corinthians 4, 7. He says, who maketh thee to differ from another? And in that context, he's talking about talents and abilities. And he's saying, 
who amongst us, we didn't decide how we were going to come out. Uh, God decided that. He gave certain talents, certain abilities, certain resources. And then he says this, What hast thou that thou didst not receive? Now, if thou didst receive it, why dost thou glory as if thou hadst not received it? Here's what Paul's saying. He's saying everything you've got is a resource given from God. There you breathe, the thoughts in your head, the blood pumping through your body. You have it because God has permitted it. Now, you say, well, preacher, that's not fair. I've made right decisions in life. I've tried to be wise. But do you understand there's lots of people that have lived more wisely than you or I who sadly tragedy has befallen. And I don't blame God for that tragedy. He doeth all things well. But I'm saying you don't deserve the things that you have and I don't deserve the things that I have. Everything we have has been given by the grace of God. It is a resource that God has given us. You got a good singing voice? God gave it to you. You got a good mind to study? God gave it to you. You got good arms and back and legs to work? God gave it to you. You got a good name and the resources that come with it? Hey, God gave it to you. Everything in your life, God gave you. It was a resource that was given to him. But then along with that resource, and he obviously recognized it, this man that had borrowed it, there was a responsibility that came with it. Uh, I hate, listen, I, I, I don't mind lending stuff, but don't you hate when you lend something to somebody and they give it back to you and it looks like it's been chewed on? Uh, the other day, boy, mm, I don't have time for stories. I, but I, listen, I, I always, I, I was taught growing up, listen, you borrow a vehicle, you give it back with more gas than you took it with. You borrow an item, you give it back in better shape than what you got it in. You, you, whatever it might be, you always try to give it back in better shape. That's good character, Right. And I wonder this question, what are we giving God back our life in what condition and in what state? Hey, listen, this, when you borrow something, there's a responsibility to treat it well, to use it wisely, and to deliver it back in good shape. And we apply that truth in every aspect of life. But why do we not then look at our lives and all that God has given us? Christ taught this parable distinctly about men that were given a talent And their job was not merely to keep it in safekeeping, but to multiply it, to do that which was productive with it. And here's what I'm saying this morning. This man, he had this tool, he had this resource, and with it came a responsibility to treat it well, to use it wisely, to put it to good work, to good energy, to good industry. He had a responsibility with it. You know, the Bible teaches that about our lives. Paul said this in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. He said, other foundation can no man lay than that, is, than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. He's talking about the foundation of our life and relationship with God. It's founded in Jesus Christ. Let me just say this, lest I move past it too quickly. If you don't have Jesus Christ, you don't have the foundation. And anything else you build is just pointless. It's just rubble. It's, it's nothing but just rubbish and, and trash. Uh, for Listen, a, a building, what's a building without a foundation? Not long for this world. That's what it is. It's got to have a foundation. If you don't have Jesus Christ, you don't have the foundation. But then he goes beyond that and he says, now if any man build upon this foundation, oh, so we're supposed to build upon it. Some people have the idea, well, God saved me and now me and God can talk about it in heaven. I have nothing else to do with him. But that's not what your Bible teaches. That's not what God's Bible teaches. You're supposed to have a relationship with God beyond that. You're supposed to build upon what Christ has done in your life. Now, if any man build upon this foundation, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, 
He says, every man's work shall be made manifest. It means it's going to be brought to light. It's going to show for what it is. For the day shall declare it. Now, he's been talking in this passage, in this letter, about the day of our uh, standing before Jesus Christ, our appearance at the judgment seat of Christ. And he's saying, one day when we stand before Him, all that's going to be revealed. He says, it will be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. He says, if any man's work abide, which he hath built there, Upon he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. Now, there's a lot we could say about that, but the fundamental point of all of it is Paul's saying there's coming a day you're going to give an account for what you've done with the life God's given you. You are a steward of the life that God has given you. You are a steward of the time that you have. You're a steward of the treasures you have. You're a steward of the talents that you have. You're a steward of the testimony that you have. In your life, nothing you have belongs to you because you had nothing and were nothing. And Christ saved you and bought you and now you belong to Him. And everything you've got in your life, He's given you. And with that comes a responsibility. One day we'll have to give an account for what we've done with this life. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 4, Let a man so account of us as of the ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Now he's applying that to his own life personally in ministry, but it could be applied to your life in whatever resources God has given you. And then he says this, verse 2, Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. In other words, it is required. It's not recommended. It's required that we be faithful with the things that God has given us. I remember whenever all the COVID stuff was going on and, and they did, they, the government just started printing money and printing money and printing money. Uh, it wasn't hard for them because they've been printing money for a long time. They already, a funny thing about it, they already had all the machines they needed to print all that money. Isn't that weird? And, uh, but whenever they did that, you know, they gave, they gave uh, a bump in the child tax credit and stimulus and this and that. Hey, there ain't no telling how many AR-15s that that money bought all over this country. Amen. Isn't that funny? <laughs> hey, don't incriminate yourself this morning. I'm just telling you that, isn't that funny? You know, all these people that claim that they're against, anyway. Point behind all of it is simply this. All that money was given, but they gave a little caveat with that child tax credit thing. They said, now look, this is a payment ahead of time. And they said, you know, come tax time, that credit's going to be half of what it normally would be. And I remember looking at my wife and saying, boy, a lot of people are going to have a rough April this year. Because they're going to all that money and spend up all that money and then sit there and cuss the H&R Block man because he can't make magic happen. Because some of that was given in stewardship laid up in store for a future day. And there would come a day when there would be a reckoning with it. And you know, it makes me think about our life. One of these days, we're going to sit across from Jesus Christ. He's going to ask us about some things. You listening to me this morning? He's going to ask you about some things. He's going to ask you about your decisions. He's going to ask you about your spirit. He's going to ask you about your testimony. He's going to ask you about how you've lived this life. We're going to have to give an account for everything that we have done. See, at the end of the day, everything we've got is borrowed. And everything in your life is borrowed. And I wonder what we're doing with that borrowed life. When I read about this man, I read that though he had with good intention and well wishes gotten this tool and resource, he got lazy with it. He got sloppy with it. He got reckless with it. 
And in the midst of that, tragedy befell, and that which was entrusted to him was lost beyond his recovery. But thank God that there was... (laughs) Thank God that there was a way to recover that which had been lost. I hope you understand what we're preaching on this morning. Notice a few thoughts with me and then we'll be done. Let me say a word before we even get to what happens with this tool, with this axe. Can I say a word about the labor with the borrowed tool? The Bible tells us exactly what happened here in verses 1, 2, and 3. The Bible says that there was a school of the prophets, a group of men who had devoted themselves uh, to the work of, of the Word of God and the labor of God. And one day, Elisha, who is the prophet over the nation of Israel, I'm not sure there was a hierarchy, there was no title necessary with it, but everybody understood that God was working in an unusual way in Elijah's uh, life. And so Elisha comes and, and he visits with these men. And they say, to him, the place we dwell is too straight for us. In other words, too narrow for us. In other words, we ain't got room. Amen. That's what they were saying. So here's what we want to do. We've got a building project that we want to do. We want to go and find us some land over in Jordan and everybody's job is going to be to fell a beam and to take it and contribute to this labor and work. Elisha says this. He says, hey man, I'm for it. Go, go do it. And I like this. You know, the man looks at him and he says, we'd sure feel a lot better if you were present there. And says, why don't you go down with us? And I, I like this. Elisha says, hey, I'll go with you. Can I just go ahead and tell you this? In many ways in this passage, Elisha is a picture of Jesus Christ. Now, Elisha was a real, historical, factual human being that lived and he was not Jesus Christ. But inasmuch as this is a type, in many ways he is a picture of Jesus Christ. Aren't you glad we don't have to go about this labor on our own? Aren't you glad that whenever we have a work of God that must be done, He don't just send us down and say, send me back a report. But He says, I'll go with you and I'll help you and I'll instruct you along the way. And so Elijah goes down with these men. And the Bible tells us they had one task and one only that they were set about at this time. The Bible tells us that they hewed, they cut down, verse 4, wood. I don't know if you've ever spent any time out in the woods uh, cutting trees down. I haven't really spent much time cutting trees down. I, I spent some time loading and hauling wood and busting some wood and stuff whenever I was young. But, uh, you know, the, it's funny. All those chores went away after us boys grew up and got out of the house. I don't know what happened to all those chores. Funny thing about it, man. It, first thing happened whenever we all got out of the house is da- Dad bought a big old zero-turn mower. Isn't that funny? Weird. We never had a leaf blower growing up. He's got two or three, you know. (laughs) Weird, man. (laughs) Strange things happen around the Weber household. But, uh, you know, if you've ever engaged in this kind of work, you know that it's not easy work. But this work, it wasn't just work they were doing for their own gratification. They were building this place to be used for the Lord. Let me say it this way. It was a holy work that was being done. It was a holy work that was being done. They weren't building a new pool. They weren't building a, a, a new, uh, you know, shed. They weren't building a bigger house for themselves. But their job was to be laboring and building the work of God. And can I tell you this? Hey, what you do with your life, you ought to invest it in the things of God. Uh, you, you want the best return on your life? Invest it in the things of God. And listen, I'm not saying that you've got to just spend tithe your way into poverty. By the way, God won't let you, but I'm not saying you got to tithe your way into poverty. I'm not saying you can't have a hobby outside of church. I'm not saying you can't have relationships outside of church, but I am telling you this. It ought to be that the focal point of our life is what is God doing in and through me? 
How is he using me to please uh, him and, and to fulfill his work and to carry out his wishes in this world? See, here's the truth. He bought you out. He owns your life and your life is in service to him now. And what they were doing, man, it was a holy work. It was not glamorous, but it was a holy work. Hey, sometimes a holy work requires hewing wood. Sometimes it's things that are not glamorous. Sometimes it's things that are not impressive. Sometimes it's things that are that are not spectacular. But it was a holy work. And I would say your life, using it for the things of God, that's not just a good investment, it's a command of Scripture that we are to be living our lives, pouring our lives into the work of God. It was a holy work. But then notice number two, man, it was a hard work. This was not work for soft hands or soft people. I mean, listen, it's dangerous enough with a big old chainsaw to cut a tree down. But to be out there with simply an axe, the energy, I don't know if you've ever watched these guys. I don't know if it's a sport or a spectacle or what it is, but they have these log-cutting championships. You ever seen these things? These guys, you know, they're big as a rhinoceros, and they're out there, and they're cutting trees down. I mean, like they're clipping trees like I clip my toenails, amen? And and they sometimes easier, <laughs> amen? And, I mean, they're just they're wearing it out. And what we could say is this, serving God is not always easy, but it's always worth it. And living for Christ is not always easy. If somebody told you, listen, some forked-tongued televangelist told you that living for God would always be simple and would always be easy, I guess I'm sorry that they lied to you and I'm sorry you believed them. But I will tell you the truth this morning. There are times it is uncomfortable to serve God. There are times it is difficult to serve God. There's times that serving God involves difficult decisions that must be made. There's times, and in fact, not just times, on the whole, all the time, you will have to persecute the flesh to do that which pleases God. It's hard work. And, I, you know, it doesn't mean that the blessings are not worth the burden. Certainly they are by many folks. But I just want you to understand this morning, if you're looking at it and saying, Preacher, am I doing something wrong? It's hard to live for God. Nope, you're not doing anything wrong. That's the way living for God is at times. And you'll have times of great reprieve and relief. And, and certainly even in those times of burdens, the comfort of the Holy Ghost and the strength of God is present to buoy you above the waves. But I just want you to understand, sometimes it is going to be hard. Sometimes you're going to have to do things that, that, that maybe don't pencil into your schedule, that aren't a part of your itinerary, that you didn't plan for and you didn't look for, but that's a part of serving God. In the Old Testament, there's three men who are called on to do extraordinary things, extraordinarily miserable things in serving God. I've always wanted to preach on I've never done it. The Bible describes how that Isaiah was tasked with walking naked in Israel for three and a half years. Hosea was called to marry a wife of whoredoms and have a home that was in utter devastation. And Ezekiel, he might have got the worst out of all of them. He had to eat bread that was cooked and baked over coals that had been made with cow dung. You say, what do you do with that, preacher? Well, pray I never have to. That's what I do with it. Keep good firewood around. That's what I do. Amen. But going a step beyond that, all those things done by the command of God. And we could look and spend time examining why all of those things rationally made sense in that moment for God to ask them to do. But just simply take the example. These are three men that were asked to do very miserable, unpleasant, uncomfortable things in serving God. And the truth is, if you're going to make your life count for Christ, there's going to be times that it's difficult. The, uh, this man, he was out laboring uh, and cutting down. You still with me this morning? You ain't so gentle that killed your momentum, are you? You all right? You're still in church this morning, right? 
Uh, this man was out and he was laboring, cutting these trees down. And the Bible says this in verse number five, the axe head fell into the water. But, you know, there's really something buried deeper into that, because if you know anything about good axes, their heads don't fall off like people. Amen. But this axe head fell off and it tells me two things. Let me say, number one, he was working with this axe head and it was loose. Typically speaking, one of the ways that you would keep this from happening, uh, most of the time there's not really what we call a mechanical connection for most axe heads, but what they'll do is be taken and, and the axe head will be put over the handle and then often a wedge will be driven in. Sometimes they'll take it and soak it in water to make it swell up bigger and that's enough to hold it on. But sometimes as the water evaporates, sometimes as the wedge works its way loose, that axe head will get loose and when it gets loose, it gets dangerous. Here's the problem. There was a fundamental flaw with the tool he was using. And instead of fixing it, he ignored it and went on anyway. You know why people get messed up and burn out? Because when things get loose, they don't tighten them up. You know why people get out and get messed up? And you can meet them, man. You can go go up and down the street and talk to people, witness people, knock on doors. Listen, down here, East Tennessee, you'll find for, for every 20 you talk to, 14 of them got their name on a church roll somewhere. And you go and talk to people and witness, and you'll ask them things like, what do you go to church? And you're like, oh, you know, they'll do the whole, eh. And you'll say, well, do you have a home church? I'll say, well, I used to go. You'll say, well, used to go. What happened? Well, you know, that preacher down there. Well, you know, those people down there. Well, you know, that choir leader down there. And here's what happened. Somewhere in the midst of laboring for the Lord, some sloppiness, some looseness, some some dislodging took place. And instead of getting it fixed, they just let it fester. Instead of going and getting that thing in a right state with the Lord, instead of stopping in what they were doing and getting with God and asking Him to tighten up and to fix up and to firm up their life and what had gone wrong, they just ignored it and pushed through and worked in sloppy manner. Let me tell you something. Hey, God's worth your best. He's worth your best. Hey, listen, we got a God that's too good to be working with loose axe heads. And what he has entrusted to us is too precious for us to use it in reckless manner. You might say, well, preacher, that's all good. What has it got to me? Well, here's here's what I'm talking about. Hey, listen, your prayer life gets messed up. Get it right. Your study life gets messed up. Get it right. Don't sit around whining and lamenting that it got messed up. Everybody gets messed up sometimes. I don't know why you think you're so special that you're the only one, but the truth is everybody gets messed up sometimes. You ain't the first person to encounter this phenomenon. But you have a choice as to what you will do in the face of it. Some people choose to put on the hypocrite's mask. Some people choose to let bitterness settle in and fester in them. But the right thing to do would have been to stop in what he was doing, find out what was wrong, and take it to the man that could fix it. He did not do that. Because of that, it was loose, but ultimately it was lost. It was lost. Man can't work with an axe handle. Takes the axe head. An axe head won't work without the handle. But you know, there's a lot of folks sitting around with handles. You know what a handle is? Proof that at one time you had an axe. You know what a lot of people are doing? They're sitting around church with axe handles. Well, I used to... Yeah. You used to. Well, you know, at one time, yeah, I know at one time. 
Well, you know, there was a time. I know there was a time. And that's a very impressive axe handle you got. What you cutting down with it? How many trees you 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 laying over with it? See, the truth is, because he worked in sloppy manner, and what I mean to say about our lives is when we allow things in our life to become disjointed, dislodged, and disrepair, if we don't take it to the Lord and get it settled and get it right, sooner or later we'll get so messed up, so broken, so gnarled up, so bitter, that we'll just wind up losing the whole axe head. I, I, listen, I, I, I'm not going. I, this isn't even in my message, but I'm just going to talk about it. Uh, it's interesting where it went. It went a place beyond his reach. You know why he cried out for help? Because there wasn't nothing better he could do. He didn't jump in after it because it was gone, listen, before he even noted. I know how this went. Not because I'm super spiritual or because God told me, but because I know people. He didn't even know that axe head was gone until he heard kerplunk. And then once he knew it, it was too late to do anything about it. It was beyond his reach, but let me say this. It was in a place where it was going to rust. If that axe head had been left where it was, it wasn't going to stay in the shape that it was in. It was going to rust. It was going to tarnish. It was going to deteriorate. Can I, mm, can I tell you, hey, listen, those testimonies don't look as good when they're 40 years in the past. I, 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 mm, I'm not, listen, I'm not being cynical. I'm not. I'm proud of everything God's done in my life from the first day that I ever drew a breath to this day. And I'm proud of all that God has done in your life. But I'm just telling you this. If that axe head lays long enough at the bottom of the river, it's going to rust. You know, there's going to come a day you can't do what you can do now. There's going to come a day you won't have the ability to do what you do now. There's going to come a day where if that axe head is retrieved, you're going to have to explain to your fellow laborers why you were content to let them carry the load for all those years while you didn't. I'm saying this, hey, listen, don't stay in a static state. And we would like to believe that we can just walk away and then come back some undisclosed, undetermined time down the road and get right and get back in. But every minute that that axe head stays at the bottom of that river, it just gets worse. Man, there's lots of people that are sitting around with with beautiful, stained, polished, attractive axe handles. But that doesn't get the job done. Uh, listen, I, I see that it was loose. I see that it was lost. But then I want you to notice the lamenting of the borrowed tool. There are some things this man did that were wrong. But then there were some things this man did that were right. It, it was wrong that he worked with this tool in haphazard way. It was wrong that he didn't give enough diligence and attention to make sure it was in good enough shape that he was being a good steward of the tool that was lent unto him. He did some things wrong. But I'm also noticing he did some things right. You know the first thing he did right? Look at verse number 5. Here's what he did when it happened. He cried and said, Alas, Master, for it was borrowed. I want you to notice his cry. And let me just break it down this way. Here's what he did. He stopped because he knew something was wrong. He didn't stop to quit. He stopped to get help. I want to be very clear with what I'm about to say. You serve God, there's going to be stress involved with it. If you don't, you meet these people in life. I got no stress. I, let me get a hold of them. It won't take long. I, listen, I know how to give them some stress. You're going to have stress. I'm not saying quit. I'm saying quit banging the axe handle against the tree and go to the one that can retrieve the axe head. I'm not saying quit. This man didn't quit. You know why he didn't quit? 
the tree still wasn't down. You know why we know that? Because he was still a chopping on it. And so instead of leaving the work for another to do, he stopped and said, no, I'm going to try to get that axe head back and finish the task that I've been assigned. I like it, man. His cry, he stopped. Alas, master, for it was borrowed. You know what I noticed? He was bothered. He was bothered he had lost it. He was bothered he couldn't do what he had done before. He was bothered that a work was left undone. Part of what is rotting Christianity today is nobody's bothered at the work that doesn't get done. Nobody's bothered. I mean, you understand untold millions of people outside of the doors of this church that need Jesus Christ. You understand people whose whose lives need to be changed. I'm talking about day by day, men step off into a devil's hell. And you and I have the only answer for it. And in our lives, if you're to be honest, and I'll be honest if you will, all right? Either that or we'll both lie to each other. What do you want to do? Well, let's go ahead and be honest. i got things I need to work on in my life. How about you? Sure you do. You going, you going to quit working on them? You going to give up? You going to stop? I like about this man, he had the sense when things went wrong, he didn't just sit there beating the tree with an axe handle. He stopped because he knew something went wrong. And there's people all over America sitting in church pews this morning just beating trees with axe handles and wondering why it never falls. So what do you mean, preacher? Well, they're coming to church. They're going through the motions. They read their Bible occasionally, but they're dead inside. They're bitter inside. They're angry inside. They're broken inside. And instead of stopping and saying, God, I need help. Something went wrong somewhere along the way. They're just beating the tree with the axe handle. I see his cry. Notice number two. Here's something he did right. I see his confession. The man of God said. Now, the man of God's Elisha. And Elisha's a picture of Jesus Christ here. The man of God said, where fell it? And if you'd been a teenager, he would have said, oh. <laughs> but here's what this man did. He showed him the place. He showed him the place. Uh, my, my little one, he's, he's four years old. And sometimes he communicates too much. And then other times we've got to fuss with him to tell us what's wrong or what's going on. And, uh, any time that he's hurting anywhere. You know how kids are. They'll come in the room and they'll go, Mama, I don't feel good. And Mama always asks the first question, Are you hurting? If he says, Yeah, she'll then say, Where do you hurt at? I can't help you if I don't know where you hurt at. I can't help you if I don't know what's wrong. There's a lot of us that in life we sit around lamenting, almost like a child throwing our tantrum. When... God's looking at us, and here's what he's saying. Where fell it? Where, what happened? Where did it go sideways? Where does it hurt at, son? Here's what this man had good enough sense to do. Instead of lying, instead of pretending, instead of saying, I don't know what you're talking about, lifting up that bare axe handle and saying, looks fine to me. He had sense enough to say, you know, you're right, Elisha. Something's wrong. And he noticed where it fell, and he took him to the place where it fell. One of the things if you go out hunting that's hard to do, if you ever if you ever shoot an animal, they always tell you to look at where you shot that animal and find some landmark to place beside it. Because when you go 50, 60 yards here in East Tennessee or more in some other parts of the country, 100 yards, 150 yards, and you go to find that animal, everything will look different when you get there. And so they say when you shoot an animal, 
Stop and notice where it fell. Take note of. Mark it. Because if you want to retrieve it, you got to know where it fell. Funny thing about it, if you've ever lost anything in water, you know you have to know where it fell because you can't see it at the bottom of that river. And all that is to say that this man, when faced with this question, where fell it, he knew where it had fell and he showed where it had fell. You know why some of us are struggling? We know where it fell, but we're too prideful to admit it. We know that it did fall, but we're too prideful to admit it. We ain't going to get no help if we won't point it out. Funny thing about it, whenever, whenever Elisha lifts the iron, and you know, this is a miracle, so it doesn't really, it doesn't have to obey the laws of physics. The creator made this happen. So it's immaterial. But it's interesting. What he did, he threw a stick in and it floated up thither. I guess if God wanted, he could have thrown that stick in anywhere and it would have floated up. I guess if God had wanted, he wouldn't have had to throw a stick in at all and it would have floated up. So what are you getting at, preacher? I'm saying him pointing it out had no nothing to do with showing God where it was. God knew where the axe head was. But he was required to admit that he had lost it and where it fell and what he needed to be done. Let me tell you something. God knows what is messed up. But he needs you to tell him what's messed up. No, no, let me say that again. You need you to tell him where it got messed up. The only way you're going to get help, I see, is confession. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So when I look at this passage, we, by way of introduction, we talked about the loaning of the borrowed tool. And then we looked at the labor and the loss of the borrowed tool. And then here this man's lamenting of the borrowed tool. But finally, and I'm done, I want you to notice the lifting of the borrowed tool. I'll tell you what I would have said if this man had come to me. And I tell you, I would have said it because I would have had to have said this. I would have said, tough. <laughs> I can't help you. I don't know what to do for you. I can just imagine two government workers standing over that river looking at it saying, well, what are we going to do about it? And the guy saying, I, I don't know. Well, yeah, 200. I, and the other one saying, yeah, I, I don't know what we're going to do about it. Well, it's down in there. Yeah, I know it is. Well, how are we going to get it? Well, I don't know. Well, yeah, let's tax people. <laughs> I don't know, let's raise taxes. Let's prop this shovel up. And, I, you know, I can just imagine, you know, if it had been me, I would have said, I'm sorry. I can't, I can't help you. can't help you. It's really tough. We look at people all the time. We say, help us. And if we were to be transparently honest with people, we'd have to say, I can't help you. But I know one that can. Can I, let me just make a statement for the record this morning. I can't fix your problem. You say, preacher, you don't even know what my problem is. I don't have to. I can't fix it. I, I, let, let me, I'll confess it to you. This preacher, I can't fix your I can't fix your marriage. I can't fix your kids. I can't fix your heart. I can't fix your bank account. I can't fix any of those things. It's beyond me to do. But I do know a God that can. <laughs> well, I'm glad old Elisha was there because he could fix it. Man, I'm glad Jesus Christ is present in the life of every believer because he can fix it. How did this happen? Well, notice two things here. Number one, it was retrieved from the water. And really what I want you to notice is how it was retrieved. Now, this is important. 
It's, we're really getting down to what matters here, aren't we? All right, preacher, you, you've got me convinced. In my life, I'm, i got things that God needs to do in my life. I'm not serving Him like I should or like I used to or like I know He wants me to. Or my spirit, my heart is broken, whatever it is. I've got this axe handle. The axe head is down there in the river of my sin or my disobedience or my disheartenedness and depression or whatever it is. And all right, preacher, how does it get fixed? Here's how it gets fixed. Verse 6, he cut down a stick and cast it in thither. And the iron did swim. There's two things I want to notice about this stick. Number one, I want you to notice that it was a loaned stick. So what do you mean, preacher? Well, here's this man, and he needs to cut down a tree. But to get help, a tree has to be cut down before he can cut any other trees down. He's lost what it takes. It's beyond him. Someone has to come along that has their own axe head that's in good shape. It's funny, we always talk about the axe head in the water, but we don't ever talk about the axe in Elisha's hand. Here's the good news. You say, preacher, my axe has done broke. Jesus brought his own. And his is always in perfect repair. What's the axe? It's a picture of the resources and the life that God has given you. Preacher, I messed up. His life is still 100% impeccable. And so here's what he does. He cuts down a tree. It's interesting how many times things are fixed in the Bible by throwing a stick at it. That has become my default solution to most problems in life. And I believe that's biblical. Hey, listen, car breaks, throw a stick at it. Kids complaining, throw a stick at them. Whatever it is, (laughs) whatever the problem is, just throw a stick at it. Because it seems like everything God did, he always threw a stick at it. Is that what God did? Well, funny thing about it, you know, the biggest problem that mankind has ever had has been mankind's sin death. The sin that we've committed that separates us from God. Not a single thing that God has ever done has required him moving an inch from his throne. And yet we find that when it comes to man's sin problem... God could not merely sit in the glories of heaven and resolve it, but rather He had to robe Himself in flesh, walk amongst mankind, show impeccable, perfect righteousness on every hand, then walk to the rugged hill of Calvary. And you know what God did? He threw a stick at it. Jesus climbed on a stick on the cross of Calvary and died in our place. The way you got an axe in the first place was because he threw that stick in. Because he went to the cross of Calvary. It was a lone stick. But notice this. It's not just a lone stick. It was a living stick. How do you know that, preacher? Because it had to be cut down. It wasn't an old dead rotten stick. It was a living stick that was thrown into the water. Can I tell you this? The cross of Calvary is as alive and vibrant today as it was the day that Christ hung upon Christ didn't on that cross. I know that. But I'm saying the power of the cross is still as present in people's lives today as it was 2,000 years ago. And you say, preacher, that's all beautiful, but what has it got to do with me? Well, here's the funny thing about it. You say, preacher, my life's all messed up. I don't know, I don't know what to do with it. Well, you do the same thing with it that you did the first day that you met Jesus Christ. You take that brokenness to the cross of Calvary and you say, Lord, I can't do this. And that's when the Lord looks at you and says, I know, child. That's why you came to me all those years ago. Because you had a problem you couldn't solve. You had a problem you couldn't fix. And then here's what you did. You quit trying to fix it. 
And you came and you died to self and let me live through you. Boy, I'll tell you, this thing of living for Christ, we can't do it on our own. We can't even really do it at all. Christ said, without me, you can do nothing. What's impossible with men is possible with God. We can't. We think faithful. mm, Faithfulness should be our default attitude towards our responsibilities with God. But we somehow think faithfulness is easy. One of the hardest things you'll ever do in your life is be faithful. It's difficult. But it's not done through striving, diligence, devotion, or dedication. It's done through dying to self. It's done through day by day saying, Alas, Master, it was borrowed. It fell. It sunk. I can't get it. Coming to Him and saying, Can you get it for me? I've messed up today. You trusted me with this life. You trusted me with this testimony. I sinned. I messed up. I made a mistake. What do I do? I take that broken axe, show it to God, and say, Lord, I messed up again. (laughs) And He says, Well, that's okay. Because I've got a stick right here that can solve all those problems. He cast it in. I see it was retrieved from the water. Uh, and I could say a million things about it. What an unnatural thing this was. The iron did swim. It did that which was contrary to supernatural. The things God calls on us to do are supernatural. Can't be done in our own strength or energy. We don't have the resources or means or ingenuity to do it. My soul, we could go on and on. But let me just notice a final thing. It was not only retrieved from the water, but it was recovered by the worker. Therefore, verse 7 said he, take it up to thee. And he put out his hand and took it. Interesting here. Again, we have a miraculous God. He could have, just with the force of his will, pulled that axe head up out of the water and slung it right back onto that axe handle. He could have done anything he wanted. After all, he could have took the tree down himself in the first place. But he structured this such that it required some participation on the behalf of this man. And here's the truth of it. He was the one that lost it. So he was the one that had to retrieve it. He didn't have to lift it. He didn't have to do what he could not do. But once the Lord had done what he could not do, he was expected to then do what he could do. And Elisha didn't say, oh, I'll go get it and I'll put it back on the axe. Mm. Let me tell you a lot of what's killing churches. Let me tell you a lot of what's killing churches is people wanting the preacher, the deacons, the the elders, the other people in the church, other church members, to put the head back on their axe. And they say, well, my life's so messed up. i got so many problems. i got that. i got that. Yeah, I understand. And God will lift that axe head for you. But you need to understand, it ain't going to go back on that handle until you reach out and take it. No one can, and I don't believe that God will do that. You are going to be... He'll lift it. You say, oh, won't He help me? He lifted it. He did what it, what you could not do. But here's what it'll take. You're going to have to reach out your hand and take a hold of it. You're going to have to be willing and you're going to have to reciprocate and respond to what he's done in your life. By the way, that includes this message. Some of y'all came in here with your axe head laying at the bottom of the river and God's lifted it. Are you going to take it? Are you going to reach out for it? Are you going to be humble and honest and say, you're right, Lord, this is wrong in my life. Or are you just going to keep whacking to that tree with that axe handle? I'm glad we don't have to do that. Hey, listen, life is stewardship. Life in Christ is stewardship. God's entrusted you. What are you going to do with it? Preacher, I've messed up. That's okay. We've got a God that can take care of that. But you're going to have to be willing to let him. Let's bow together this morning. With our heads bowed, our eyes closed.
musician's going to play at the altar. I, 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 listen, I, I want you to come if God dealt with you about something. I don't. I've done my preaching. I, I'm not. I'm not going to. I'm not going to go through and preach a message again or try to figure out the right question that would convince you. If the Holy Ghost hadn't dealt on your heart, there's nothing I can say or do. But I will just simply say this. As God has lifted the axe head, this is the moment. This is the moment to reach out and take it. God's dealing with your heart. This is the moment. Father, bless this invitation. May it magnify the Lord Jesus. We ask it in his name.